This is CliffCentral.com. Fashion Lab on CliffCentral.com. Salam and welcome to the Fashion Lab show. My name is Lisa Gumbo Regis Ford, your host, and thank you for tuning in once again. Now, today's show is going to be one of those very interesting shows. They're always interesting anyway. We're going to be talking fashion collection planning and development. Now, whether you're dreaming about writing a book or getting ready to whip up some chapati or <laughs> getting ready to drop a new album or whatever it is, we all know that for every goal we look to achieve, we got to have a plan. And obviously with this fashion collection, there's definitely no ex- exception to the rule. So I want to uh, just quickly uh, just share some bits and pieces for those who are tuned in who are wondering what this conversation is about and why we're going so deep. Uh, we are definitely, according to the Swatch book by Charlie Ross, uh, the fashion world is a high-paced environment where efficiency and innovation reign supreme. So to achieve any goal, there's got to be a plan, like I said. Your planning will obviously involved, uh, involve uh, bits and pieces, your collection specifics. So you're thinking about how many styles you'll have, what fabrics and colorways will be used. You're thinking about just also manufacturing. You're thinking about styles. You're thinking about your drawings. You're thinking about size and proportions. Uh, you're thinking about obviously your numbers, so you want to know cost price and also think about your selling price per garment. But I think that the most important thing with all of this thing said is you have to definitely consider what demand your collection or product is going to be fulfilling within the market. Because really, if you're just sitting up and whipping up some collection without really taking that into consideration, then you might as well... <laughs> Go home. So before I introduce our special guests uh, today who are joining us on the show, we are joined by our Fashion Lab uh, partner and contributor, Edgy Benson, who also runs NU in New York, and he's coming to us live and direct with his Echoes from New York. Welcome to the show, Edgy. Hi, Liz. How are you doing? Fine, thanks. How are you? <laughs> I am good. And what are you wearing? I'm flipping uh-huh. the now you, are, you. you are not flipping this thing on me <laughs> like that. Huh? <laughs> What's your name? Which one be on? Anyway, I am wearing an interesting Kitenga dress. This dress, I was actually sitting across our guest right now, and I was telling him the last time I wore this dress was actually a year ago when we were speaking to Zabs on the show. So it's just so funny how today I feel like that day. But I'm wearing a nice Kitenga dress and some beautiful heels and some leggings to make sure I cover these legs and don't show them off so much <laughs> because we are still looking at the insurance rates. But anyway, that's what I'm feeling like. What are you wearing and who made your clothes? Today, I am really chill. I'm wearing a Henley t-shirt by an unknown designer I really love. And Should I say your bottom you or can I... Uh, can we assume mm-hmm. that you will be wearing You'll something be right. uh, so, be okay, okay, so for our listeners who are tuned in, <laughs> Edgy is wearing what he wears uh, 90% of his life, which is on the bottom, which is his diesel jeans. Are they black? Are they ski- Obviously, they're skinny and they're definitely diesel. I is, know there, is, is, is there anything you're missing out? This one may shock you, though. This one's a green. <laughs> ah. I went deep with color, man. Edgy, you've been wearing diesel every day of our lives. I mean, I'm tired. Someone please call 911. But listen, we're going to leave you to that. And we are going to also uh, uh, introduce our fashion expert uh, with her echoes from New York, Francisca Marzilli. And I just have to say, professional dreamer and creative, because she's going to jump on me if I don't say that. But welcome to the show, Francisca. Hello, Liz. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Fine, thanks. And what are you wearing and who made your clothes? <laughs> Today I'm wearing um, a t-shirt, black t-shirt with the Lilia design. You can find it on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, skinny jeans, uh, black skinny jeans. <laughs> Not green. And high heels. See, that's my girl. <laughs> I'm laughing because I said at least they're not green, like Edge is green. But today Edge has also really taken his stuff uh, a notch higher. So he inspired me with his skinny things. Skinny things. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the show, Francisca, and thank you for joining us. It's always good to have you as well. Now, for those who, of you who are tuned in for the first time, I've got my favorite segment at the end of the show called Who Would You Want to Dress and Why? So feel free to share with us your thoughts. or Not your thoughts, actually. We care about who you want to dress and why. Keep your tweets coming. We're at Fashion Lab AF on Twitter. We're at Fashion Lab Africa and 
on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, but we'd love to hear, generally, we'd love to hear from you. Um, also, if you think that there's some subject matters that we're not touching on or we haven't touched on yet, and you would love to hear us um, unpack, uh, please email us at info at fashionlabafrica.com. Otherwise, I'm going to go straight to the guests. We've got two special guests in studio today. We're joined by a special guest. Her name, I will tell you last because I'm giving her an extra name. I'll tell you why. But she comes from a long line of kilters and neaters. She's equipped with a diverse range of fashion industry experience that spans a variety of brands, aesthetics, company size, and consumer demographics. She connected her eye for quality, sourcing, production, relationship building, negotiation skills with her love of safari. Not my safari, but I'll tell you about that. Now, for over eight years, she's worked in Africa to bring about sustainability and employment to the sub-Saharan region by producing garments in ethically run factories that promote fair trade and give above average living wages in countries such as Uganda, Madagascar, Tunisia, Lesotho, and my country, Kenya. <laughs> you can see where I'm going with this. Now, to break it down, we just want to uh, welcome her to the show. She's definitely doing a lot um, within the industry, not just in the U.S., but globally. And that is why we're going to be plugging her in. Allow me to welcome and to introduce to the show our lovely guest, Madame Spencer. Uh, her name is Nadia Bradshaw Spencer, and another name that I'm giving her today is Anyango, so you can throw that on there. Nadia, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for a lovely intro, and good morning, hello, and jumbo to everyone. Jumbo, Nadia. Now, now, Nadia, are you Nadia or are you Nadia? I'm Nadia, okay, or if Nadia. my mother's angry with me, Nadia. <laughs> so, so I'm not angry with you, I'm not vexed, so I think we'll just no, keep it as, as Nadia. Nadia. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to the show and thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And then also just remember that name I just threw to you. That's a very special name. It's a Lua. I'm from the Lua tribe in Kenya. So because you're in love with Kenya, that is your other name. You can just put an A or just remember it's Anyango. 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 You yeah. have you have to send me how to spell that. I will, I, 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 will, that. I will send it to you, but thank you for joining us on the show. Now, we're also joined uh, by another special guest who's also sitting right across from me. He is a brand strategist who specializes in the fields of branded entertainment, business development, brand content, and communications strategy, as well as experience design and live events continentally and globally. He is also co-founder of... Project Fable, and this is a content consultancy that curates and creates content for brands to leverage, uh, to generate social currency and build communities around them for purposes of acquisition and retention. Allow me to introduce to the show Gerard Foster. Hello, everybody. Who's also my brother. If you want him as a brother, guys who are listening, just talk to me nicely. He's a very cool guy. Edgy, there's a man in the house. Watch out today. How are you, brother Edgy? <laughs> Hello, Francisca. Hello, Nadia. Edgy, thank you for joining. I mean, Jeej, uh, thank you for joining us as well. So, Gerard, could you just share with us what you're wearing and who made your clothes? Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. I feel like I have the whole world that has dressed me today. So, if I start at the bottom, mm -hmm. let's start in South Africa. The shoes I'm wearing are made by another brother of ours, Sheldon Kopman, Naked Ape. Um, everything is sourced in Africa. Beautiful. Uh, leather, and there's a material that comes from Cape Town. Uh, my... Skinny jeans, since that's the trend. <laughs> Good boy. <laughs> yes, Edgy, your influence runs deep. Um, <laughs> my skinny jeans. So, so everything except for the shoes have a blue U about them. That's how Thursday felt to me today. So it's a deep blue. Um, I'm wearing a t-shirt. Uh, no, a shirt that I got in Kenya actually, Liz. Um, I'm wearing an Adidas jacket and I'm wearing a Kangol knitted hat. Oh yes, Gee. boy! Oh boy, it's good to know you. Now, Nadia, before we, you, you, I know you think you're exempt, but no one is exempt. Uh, what are you wearing, and who made your clothes, Nadia? Maybe because of the call and the nature of it, um, I decided to channel Africa as well. I am wearing a very comfortable loose maxi tunic from Suno's Spring Thirteen Collection, made in Kenya. Very nice. So easy to be home, and my dog is at my foot. So. <laughs> <laughs> my shoes are a black multi poo. Wow. That is my shoes right now. <laughs> well, it's really nice to have us all on the show. And uh, 
I think we just need to get straight into it. But I think uh, back to start with you, Nadia, before we go further um, into this topic, I just want to touch uh, maybe just for our listeners and for us to also get a bit more understanding of some of your work. Now, with okay. your mission to help fashion startups get started, let's talk about your offering to the fashion value chain through your fashion consulting company, Bradshaw Consulting Company, which is what? Is better clothing globally? Is that your yeah. tagline? That's the tagline, yes. So let's talk about that. Like, what are you doing and what's what's happening on that front? How are you helping these fashion startups get started? I am helping them by essentially being a relationship manager. There's so many wonderful people who want to get into the business. And um, I vet them, of course, not because you want to be a fashion designer and want to build a brand that I take you on. Um, I try to find brands that have an ethos of wanting to do good in the world and make beautiful clothes of beautiful people. But years ago, when I started with Suno, even prior to that, Eden, even though these companies have become editorial successes in your Vogue's and your W's on major runway shows, we were still small and we still had very small units starting up. And um, you had to figure out ways to avoid the minimums that come with manufacturing smaller units, um, ordering fabrics from certain mills, um, even trim your buttons, your zippers, sometimes um, having to order factory minimums or mill minimums could cripple a business if you don't have the outlet to um, sell them just yet. So I've been able to find a niche in in, um, in the business, and mainly because of relationships I've garnered over the years, uh, helping the little guy or the startup get started by avoiding some of those minimums that could, like I said, could cause a business to go under quicker than succeed. Um, so I can do small units, 50 to 25, as well as 2,500 to 25,000. Um, I can do minimums of fabric anywhere from five yards to, you know, 5,000. And it, it's all about working with people and having people believe in the brands in the way I do. And that's how Bradshaw Consulting Group really came to life. I realized I was doing it for these amazing brands and making them successful. And I thought, well, maybe um, I could try it on my own and, and bring. I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit based off of my family. And um, I thought after having my child, it was time to get going and um, bring Bradshaw Consulting Group to life. It's very nice. Congratulations for all the work that you're doing and what you've been able Thank to you. achieve so far. Now, I just want to go, uh, because we are definitely focusing on the fashion collection, planning and development, and we have all of you brilliant heads in, this, in the house today. I want to just first, maybe we'll start with you. And I want to just touch on different elements or different um, sort of um, key things to consider during this planning, but that are really, uh, maybe would have variables also based on where we are, what you're doing, what size of brand you are. Uh, and all of that. So let's just go uh, straight to the quantities. And you made such a, po a, a strong point around the fact that, you know, you have to also just really think about numbers. Are you going to overproduce? And then what are you going to do with them if you don't have an outlet and vice versa? So what are your, for people who are tuned in, for people who are really struggling with this, uh, brands who are struggling with this, let's talk about uh, the quantities, of garments when it comes to production what would be your advice what would you what would you say would you say that there's obviously there is there are variables but what what's your advice on this i'm just gonna run it around the room and then let's just um come to a conclusion so we can talk about other elements of this whole collection planning oh i can jump in this is nadia um for me, um, I try to, when it's somebody really new and they're just building, let's say, e-commerce portal, they don't even have, um, you know, wholesale or retail outlets just yet. I try to partner with um, small sample rooms, be it in um, Kenya, be it in New York, be it in Peru. And I try to align the workshops, the, the brand with brands, I mean, sorry, companies that don't require um, minimums of, of more than five. Like literally, literally, I have factories that can do five pieces for production wow. for certain from for. And of course, it's not. And they have to believe in a brand as well. And um, I try to also bridge depending upon budget and where they ultimately see and, and help them lay out a strategy. Um, if I do it in countries that don't have or duty free incentives. So if they're more sweaters or, or knit centric, you know, I might work with a small workshop, a consortium of women in Peru that do things for a lot of um, big brands like a, a, a Balenciaga or Catherine Malandrino. And they take on 15 to 20 pieces. 
So it depends on the the brand, um, the size, and their um, the product. So when I'm doing knit to sweaters, the minimums are higher than if I'm doing cut and sew wovens. So again, it all depends on the company and where their aesthetic is and how I can align them with the proper manufacturing partners to bring their vision to life. So typically right now, it's been in the U.S. I work with a few sample rooms in the U.S. and um, who allow me to bring um, clients in. And sometimes I'm ordering fabric overseas and sometimes we're, I'm working with jobbers locally or, or wholesale outlets. So the goal is to try to get a product because when you build it and it's too expensive, how can you sell it? So the goal is to try to build it and not necessarily have a lot of minimums because they don't have orders yet um, and work on getting your, really hone in on costing. And that's really my, my niche, making sure that all parts to make a whole are believable retails. Thank you for that. Um, Nadia, 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 which one's yeah. the uh, not angry one? Nadia. <laughs> Nadia. Thank you for that. Um, G, would you want to just maybe just give your feedback a, a bit? And I also know that, again, maybe your feedback will be more African-focused. I don't know. but Well, yeah, it's not just Africa-focused. I think it's business-focused. So to the point that Nadia just made, um, what she's speaking about is a business principle across the board. You know, as to your, your intro, whether you're trying to get into the fashion business or any f business for that, for that matter. In Africa, we are very cost sensitive. Um, so people have to plan properly because you have to know what are you going to invest? Um, and what are you guaranteed to have in terms of the return? So what are the margins that you're making? Um, my experience in kind of various industries across the continent is that I think that <clears throat> the business model for Africa specifically is one where you have small margins and high volume because there are so many people. So make sure that what you're, what you're producing is going to be popular because it, you're going to make your money off the volumes, not off the margins. It's nice. That's a nice, that's also interesting insight. Edgy uh, and Francisca. Francisca, let's go. We haven't heard your voice for a minute. Let's go with you first. Um, according to my experience, my very recent experience that I'm doing uh, in these days, I, I can, uh, I can say, as you know, Liz, as you already know, um, with my t-shirt, I agree with all the, with the, the kind of, uh, observations made up to now. Uh, in a hand side, you need to test the market. So you need to have, uh, uh, to, 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 you need to, to reduce the risk in the, in the start. But in the other hand side, you need to spread the image of your product. So, uh, I think that, uh, an on field experience first is the best thing to do, uh, from my, my point of view. And, uh, in another hand side, also, there is uh, the online experience that, uh, in my case, uh, is being exciting. <laughs> so there are uh, different uh, uh, ways to to act, and uh, there are they are they can be also simultaneous. You can start uh, from one sample, uh, put it uh, on a, a platform, in a social platform, and see how uh, people like it. Or, uh, and in the meantime, in the same time, you can uh, also start and sell things. Of course, uh, um, reduced margins or high margins um, is, uh, is, uh, is another, is a sensitive topic uh, also here in Europe. I guess uh, worldwide is a sensitive, sensitive uh, topic. The, the price, the final price is what defines really uh, your target. And uh, I need to tell you that uh, in this period, uh, I sense that uh, the target, the market, um, target market, is very, is very uh, mixed. Uh, there is not more. Who, who buys the luxury also can buy something very cheap if. Uh, this uh, this uh, this garment has something interesting to to say. So I could say that is uh, important to uh, that a creative 
uh, a creative a professional has to um, to make his purpose is is a is a purpose uh, in a original and most individual uh, way as possible. Thank you, Francisca. Edgy, what are your thoughts here when it comes to quantities? Well, <clears throat> sorry. I mean, this conversation is so important because it's one of the the reasons why we we um I think why we exist as fashion lab just to help help designers navigate this this um, this universe, you know. And just to echo Nadia and George and you know and and Gerald, sorry, it's I think. A lot of these things is just pure business, you know, pure business thinking. Um, for us as a manufacturer, we we everything is a conversation. To be honest with you, you, you can have two pieces, you can have a million pieces, mm-hmm. but it's a conversation. As as a manufacturer, if you came to me and you said, "These are my product goals. These are my community, you know, my beliefs in the product, fair trade, or you know, um, I, I want it." Uh, you know, like produce where people are not being underpaid. Um, I get that all the time. And these are my, my growth targets. Uh, but I only have five pieces to make. It's really a conversation. There are so many manufacturers who will sit down with you and negotiate that and try to find a way to help you. I think for African designers, it is so important to have this conversation. Find the right people have a conversation. Don't just go to them and say, oh, I want to make clothes. Because for me, when you say you want to make clothes, my first instinct is, what are your volumes, you know? Um, so just being able to paint that picture to me to make me understand what your goals are um, and just to say, I need this, you know, I need that help. Um, it's It's very possible. And I think that's why also we have to, find a way to grow and get investors involved in manufacturing in Africa so that African designers can have these opportunities. In terms of getting this stuff done, I think it's really a conversation, a conversation with Nadia, a conversation with me. All of this, this can take designers very far. Nobody's really going to drop you out because you have only five pieces if you have that conversation with them. Um, so I want to add on and just say, uh, when I spoke to G, when I was mentioning the Africa versus, and that's why I said there was, there were a couple of variables. I would say that because of the fact that I think that in Africa, especially if you're producing in Africa, we don't have the same level, um, of speed, of technology, of, uh, efficiency through our CMT mm-hmm. uh, setup in Africa generally. So what happens is for me, I think my advice today for also brands who are starting up or brands who are just in existence, who are actually, you know, in this game and you mm-hmm. have to keep moving and you have to keep, you know, take note of the next season, push, push, push. I think my biggest advice, and this is out of experience is the only way I can be safe producing today as an African brand in Africa is to actually overproduce, meaning that I'm not even thinking about, I don't want to talk about five items. I don't want to talk about a hundred items. I want to talk about a bigger number because it's actually for my own security. Mm-hmm. The problem is when it comes to the the timelines, and this is a real experience. I just now got uh, one of my factories who does my work for mm-hmm. some of my jackets, sent me an email yesterday saying this, the stock is ready. And I promise you, on this round table that we are sitting on together today, I ordered this jacket in January. Right. For a six, <laughs> this was six weeks. Was supposed to be ready in January. Yeah, it's now six months. Later. It is now, we are on sale. Literally, we are on sale in the stores. And winter is literally, we've marked down, we've already started marking down our, our items. So can you believe the dilemma that we have to deal with? And for me, when I go through <laughs> stuff like this, this is, this is real talk now, current situation happening right now. It doesn't matter how big you think your brand is. It doesn't matter what they just don't, they're not efficient. So back to my point, um, when it comes to quantities, I think for me, from my end, my advice for brands who are not working with Edgy or Nadia, is to basically say, listen, overproduce and keep producing. How are you going to manage? I mean, if your stuff is only coming in six months later, 
from your date of order, which was supposed to be six weeks, you're supposed to have the stock. By the time you get the stock, I still have pieces that are supposed to be coming in for winter. Remember winter, we're, we're not doing, this is a closed conversation at this mm-hmm. point, that are still yet to be delivered and yet to be finished. Yeah, and we're, it's ridiculous. we're, we're at the end of winter. Um, yeah, I think that it's, it's a, it's a huge challenge, um, out here because there's a whole, there's a whole number of factors that affect, um, production, um, in terms of cost and in terms of what you're advising people. Um, if you're going to overproduce, then you need to have a plan for overproduction as well. Because what you don't want to do is you're incurring a cost, right? Um, so if you don't have your distribution <laughs> sorted out, then what is the plan for you to be able to recoup what you've invested by overproducing? Because if I understand you correctly, you're saying overproduce because of the delays you have in production. Mm-hmm. So make sure that you still have something on the rack, mm-hmm. right? On time. When on it's time. Relevant. Yeah, but, but then that means that your plan now has to build into it a contingency that is going to ensure that the garment that you've produced or overproduced is going to remain almost timeless. It has to remain relevant, you know, regardless of season, et cetera, et cetera, whatever the trends are, all of those kinds of things. So it's almost as if what you're saying is that if you're going to overproduce, then overproduce on a staple because then it will be something that's, you know, for all seasons. But is this now where we also talk about the other outlets like your online? So you think more e-commerce, where else can you... Send you over well, or sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying at the end of the day, right? Uh, fashion is is it's very re- reliant on timelines. It's it's, it's 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 seasonal. Although online is blurring our seasons, but it is it is seasonal. If you miss it, if you miss the deadline, you've missed the deadline. You know, I think it all comes down to us having availability of resources in Africa where. Even for you, can have more than one choice where to go, like reliable choices. I think that is very important. Once you have reliable choices to deliver the product to you, uh, you can walk away from people who don't meet the deadline. Uh, but just having that choice is such a is such an important part. You know, um, you shouldn't suffer through it at all because the, the manufacturer, honestly, his job, his business is to deliver that goods. You know, to deliver those goods, you know? Yes, and I I agree. Yeah, okay. And I agree, Edgy, just one second. I also agree with you, but I just think when you say, it's easy to say if they can't deliver walk walk to where. And then I should have called Edgy from the beginning and just focused on Edgy working (laughs) on my production from beginning to end because Edgy's space or setup is efficient. So walk to where when you're already in? Six feet under. Well... I know, I know. Maybe Nadia can speak to this, but I <laughs> think it's, it's just, you, you gotta have choices. Why? I mean, walk to where is, that's another question. <laughs> like making, making the decision to walk and having somewhere to walk to is very important. Like yes. those, that's, that's, that's the luxury you want to have, you know? Right. And, options. yeah. Yeah. Well, Liz, for me, um, when I started working on the continent and particularly in like, uh, Uganda and Kenya, there was a level of inefficiency at times when trying to get a time and action calendar to be able to build your product life cycle to hit these seasonal dates. Um, I found that being on the ground was imperative for me, but I'm in New York, right? So how often can I be in Kenya or Uganda or Lesotho managing this? For me there, it was building relationships with the proper manufacturing partners and empowering a beautiful Kenyan woman, Ruth McCummy, who became my eyes and ears. Ruth was worked for DHL. She worked for DHL in Kenya, but she had an impeccable eye. And what I liked about her working for DHL is she knew logistics. So she was all about timing and calendar. So we, I trained Ruth with a tech designer. We would come down to Kenya and work very closely, like look at the lines, look at what Suna's producing, look at whatever's producing, and figure out ways to empower the workers to to meet these deadlines. And we found that um, having roof there on the ground was my secret weapon. Um, And really working with the most efficient sewers in the factory. What I did was gave it exercise. It was maybe 50 sewers. And I only needed 10 to be in this subset luxury um, fashion lab, if you will, we were building. And I gave them an exercise. How fast can you sew it? How quickly can it be cut? And how beautiful is it done? 
and just keep giving you know everyone an opportunity to vie for these seats in a particular arena. Again, it was a um, it was a beautiful exercise to go through, but I found um, and even in Mexico or even in Peru, there's a a manana mentality. I'll get to it tomorrow. I'll get to it tomorrow. <laughs> um, it was marketing. Also, we had Rihanna wearing our dresses, Solange or Beyonce. That got people excited. So for me to kind of work on true time and action calendars, it was FaceTime. It had to be a lot of FaceTime. And if I wasn't present, I had someone on the ground who could. And eventually, once they saw that how serious we were and that they were more units were coming in, we became very efficient. Um, I had one disastrous season. Two, I'll never forget spring 2008. But from then on, I met, I met my seasonal deadlines. I have three different deliveries, pre-fall, resort, and um, spring, summer. Um, I mean, fall and spring, summer. And we weren't late. We weren't late. And I think the, the thing is um, time and action calendar and accountability when things aren't shipped properly. Like you said, you can't walk away when you're in too deep. But People don't like being discounted. Like you're going to have to pay for the loss of money that I'm going to have to cut these prices down because I have to, in order for my retailer to accept this, there has to be a, a discount to them. So there's going to be a discount to you. I don't like doing that and I don't want people to be in that that habit, but eventually that worked as well. When people realize you're going to lose money, so they're going to lose money, things change. It's a different conversation. Nadia, how do you, you make a very... A very critical point, I think, for most businesses, and I think that as as we evolve um, in the world with technology making things more convenient, we look at retail taking a heavy knock with you know the introduction of online, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. How in your planning do you build accountability? Because I think that is the critical point here. How do you build accountability into your planning? My purchase orders. When I send them out based off of my clients, there is a fine line. It's a binding agreement that if you don't hit this particular date, and I also allow padding in because I, I want to be fair. That's mm-hmm. the whole point. I want to be fair. Um, there's dates that we need to hit internally, and then there's dates that we just can't go past internally, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm very transparent with my factories. If we can't hit this and have a real conversation, if you accept this PL, you're accepting this timeline. I know things happen, particularly in Kenya. Sometimes the lights will go out or there was a storm. There were so many things that could happen. The generator's down. I always think about that. So I add a couple of weeks, anywhere to two to three weeks on the back end of the PL. Um, But once they take that purchase order on, that's a binding commitment. And um, every time, every 10 to 15 days that you don't hit that date, then there's a discount that is applied to us. And they've signed on to it. So it's also an incentive that, like, I need my company to thrive, that's me, and they need their company to thrive, that they took on this PO, they have to hit these dates. And you apply pressure. Um, They apply pressure to me in getting all parts to make a whole. I need to give them everything they need to start cutting and sewing at a proper time. Because if I'm late, then they're late. And I also have to be considerate of that. Um, So time and action calendars are essential for me in order to hit these X factory dates. Uh, so Nadia, I would also say that I'm sure when you went into that setup to start working with the informal sector that you realized they actually didn't have, it was very rare to find, okay, here's a contract, here's this, here's that. And there's certain things that I would say you most probably put into place. Now, I think for me, from an African perspective, I also want to say that I think it's a very laser fair attitude towards, um, towards, uh, responsibility. That's my mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. So if I walk into a space um, where I need to literally say, listen, we're going to sign a contract um, and whatever happens to this, if you don't meet the deadlines, nobody wants to sign that contract. No, not nobody. <laughs> Let me not knock it off like that, but almost very rare to find a business mm-hmm. in the CMT space who will say, okay, fine, we'll sign because they know what they do and they know how it happens and it never happens on time. And it's it's shocking. It's ridiculous. It is a disgrace. And I think uh, from a development perspective, I don't know. I really don't know what what what's going to happen. But this is a variable, like I said, and it's different conversations. And it means that for brands who are also tuned in today, I think it's up to you at the end of the day to now sit and make a decision and say, where do you actually want to go next when it comes to your production and how and with who? Because you just need to know what it is. If it's blue on the other side, it might always be blue. And then obviously there's, there, there are, there are places and ways that you could change things. But I think just as a culture generally, 
there's just a very laser fair approach to sign this so that if you don't meet me at four, then you'll you, no. Who, who who wants to sign that? And G, I'm sure you'd agree with me. Yeah, I think Edgy wants to say something, but just to to your point, yeah. um, to your point, Liz, um, I think what it then becomes is, you know, the, the purpose of this platform is the business of fashion. Right? So in this discussion, it, I think to some extent, accountability goes two ways. And I know that it's it's a hard line to take, but you then also have to set the terms of how you're going to do business. So when when you engage with the factories or the CMTs, you then have to say to them, you want my business. These are the terms and conditions and have that hard conversation that Nadia is referring to. Because if you don't do that in any business, not just fashion, you know, we always have these issues, whether it's live events, marketing, suppliers, suppliers will let you down. But if you do not have a service level agreement in place, then you cannot hold those people accountable. And, and similarly, they cannot hold you accountable. Edgy, you were going to yeah. say... Absolutely, absolutely. I think what I was going to say is this whole conversation, if you look at it from the outside, it's we're really talking about efficiencies, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like can you deliver, do you have choices, how good are the choices. It all really boils down to concerted efforts to to just have choices in Africa. I think we don't have choice. Enough choice choices. is actually like such um, a catalyst Mm. You know, for, for efficiencies, you know, if, if because if the next guy knows that if he doesn't deliver, you're going to go somewhere else, you know, they will be forced to deliver because then they'll be out of business. So I think that's our our focus. Like, how do we get even in, in previous conversations we've had, we've had these people who were like des- designers coming on on the show with us who said, well, um, you're not so crazy about investors or in the industry, but this is what investment in the industry does. This is what it gives you, efficiencies, you know? So we still have to work really, really hard to turn investors towards our industry in Africa, have a few more factories so that even we can do production in Africa, knowing that, you know, we have choices and knowing that there's a a movement towards efficiencies. Um, but we, we, that, we do need those. We do, we do need to build efficiencies in Africa because problems are going to be there in, in manufacturing. Timelines are going to sometimes have issues because you can't foresee everything. But with dedicated factories who understand, uh, the industry and understand the importance of deliveries, um, you don't. You will not have this laser fair attitude that we we're talking about. People will commit, and people would would deliver these products because their business survival depends on it. Let's talk about styles for a minute, and I know we're going to run out out of time. We're not going to be able to touch on everything, but I still think that these are some of the really key um, elements that I thought we should actually um, unpack a bit. Uh, let's talk about styles now. Who first of all, I was going to say. I am a person who is very style obsessed, okay? And um I I just just I feel like I am I I feel like I sit down to create a garment and like literally feel like it's a Picasso moment. But the question mm-hmm. is who cares? Who cares because when I look at the trends and we look at what's selling, what are people buying? The most strange looking to me, the most strange looking dresses are like the highest sellers. So I just want us to also just touch on styles. Does it really matter? Is it really about style or is it actually how we market whatever? I mean, it could be someone wearing a sack. It could be a sack. It could be Francisca has spent 20,000 hours on the beating on this. Does it really matter anymore? I mean, considering what is selling, who's selling and the trends right now. Well, I think maybe let's let's start with Francisca and Francisca you you've got a t-shirt brand I understand. Yeah. Um, so so clearly you saw This one month. Well, it's fine, but the point is you clearly uh-huh. saw an opportunity in the market that has driven you to the point that you are now operational, you have an online store, you're manufacturing and you're selling. Um so was style a factor? when you were considering this opportunity or this gap that you saw in the market? I think that uh, in my case, um, style, uh, it's my uh, my opportunity, really, because uh, what I do, I, I design 
for high um, for hot couture creations, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. bridal uh, night uh, and uh, elegant uh, outfit, and then uh, I uh, with my free hand. So uh, it's a very it's a unique work, starting from the design, and I see always the reaction uh, of people who see my my designs. Wow, Francesca, it's amazing. You have a so original uh, kind of uh, illustrations and so on. And th then I thought, why, why cannot I democratize more this kind of work? Why can't I develop more? And why can't I do uh, using it on uh, the most popular thing you can buy, a T-shirt? This, mm. this was my thought. And I saw, I'm seeing the, the reactions, chain reactions, really, that are, are coming and coming. And I'm very excited about this. But I would say that my point uh, is style, really. Um, I, I could not, uh, I could not uh, uh, print something uh, that uh, is copied or everybody else uh, did. It's uh, it's uh, my original style. This is why before I was uh, saying that uh, um, um, from a, a creative point of view, mm -hmm. you should uh, everybody should uh, should um, uh, see uh, in the originality and the, uh, pure creativity is own challenge mm. in every in every in, in every level really. Agreed. Designing for H&M or designing for a luxury brand, uh, top, top, top. <laughs> yeah. Nadia, in your, in your consulting business, when you, because uh -huh. you spoke about how, you know, you kind of do vet, you go through a vetting process with the, with the people that are trying to get into the business and who you take on as clients eventually. Um, as yes. part of that service, do you, do you, do you kind of, in your vetting process, do you look at things like, um, authenticity, uniqueness, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and advise those clients accordingly before you take them on. Exactly. I just turned someone down who had mentioned like I want to be like Zara. I'm like, well, then Zara already <laughs> exists, and I'm going to. I can't do five t-shirts for you at fifteen dollars for a t-shirt. Right. So I mean, you need to come back to me when you have a, a solid plan. Um, I know my limitations. I know my factory's limitations are. I, I do try to push the envelope with who I accept. I do want them to have a point of difference. I've been in the industry for 15 years, so I can kind of judge, like, is someone serious or is it just like, oh, I think I'm going to get rich? Because you're not going to get rich in fashion. Um, and, and nine out of ten. <laughs> you can and you can be comfortable. Um, but those people like I, I want to be a billionaire tomorrow. Um, hold your horses. Um, I try to I take on some luxury and advanced contemporary like my new clients now. Um, their point of difference is their attorneys who turned to designers who found like they wanted to go from the courtroom to cocktail hour and they're petite women. So they decided to find something that is flattering to them, whether they're in the boardroom and then they're going to get drinks. They didn't want to be the stuffy, you know, typical black and Navy suits. So that was something exciting. And um, they had a point of difference to our marketplace. I have a young lady who's very high end and using um, luxury textiles and her evening wear is impeccable. And mm -hmm. it's targeted towards uh, more African-American women, but it really fits women of color period. She just, designing things that are super avant-garde um, and you don't really see that from a young african-american designer um, one of my biggest clients ever was a young lady who left alexander wayne and she was a brilliant textile and knitwear designer and she was doing a lot of things that made him popular so she decided to step off and do her own thing we actually sold a dress you guys for ten thousand dollars oh wow a dress dollars mm -hmm. the fabric was from switzerland it was hand done by atelier and um a luxury boutique bought it. So there is a market for just about everything. I think the the story, the ethos, the person behind it and how hard they're willing to go to convey their point of difference is it's what the marketplace is showing. So yeah, you can do athleisure, you can do luxury, you can do five dollars, five thousand. Um mm -hmm. it's just really, really that designer knowing who they are and believing and um having the right outlets to show it. It takes time, um, but it can happen. Yeah, I think I'd like to share a lesson from the music industry, which I think 
as a parallel because fashion is plays an integral role in in music as well is that you know if we take hip hop for instance is that you would be able to hear a lot of people when they deliver something you you'd be able to that <laughs> okay music interlude ladies and gentlemen we're going to serenade you right now <laughs> Ah. That wasn't that was G's cue. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they they heard that Sorry. we wanted to say something about the music industry, so we had some music. Pretty <laughs> 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 Um, I just I just don't know who the artist was, so I can't back announce that. So you know, yeah. they're gonna have to do that for free. Um, but the the lesson that I wanted to bring from the the music industry specifically into the point you're trying to make, Liz, is that. You know, if we look at how many musicians there are, then you yourself are a musician. Is in order for you to build a fan base, it comes down to resonance. So people right now, if you look at it, we live curated lives. We go out there and we seek the things that appeal to us. And the things that will resonate with us are the things that are authentic. So it's always a challenge. Like I've, I've managed some really great artists. And I've always said to them, it's a challenge that when they go into the studio, it's it's that Picasso moment you spoke about just now. It's that there's that genius that's happening because it's a creative process. And the minute they come out of the studio with a product, it's almost as if you now have to dumb it down because you have to fit this brilliant piece of art into a system that's very clinical and cold and academic and whatever it is. So you're literally fitting a square peg into a round hole. And that's unfortunately how the world has been designed and constructed. Um, so having worked in the record industry, the worst thing you can ever have is that when, when somebody comes in as a fashion designer, as you go, oh, I think I want to be like Liz Gumbo. I want to be like whoever. And so you start copying these things. Um, that's not authentic. It's an aesthetic that appeals to you, but you're not putting your own signature on it. Mm -hmm. And people will pick that up very quickly. Mm -hmm. So if it's not authentic, then, you know... Then go, go drink wine in the park, I think. <laughs> yeah. It's not authentic. <laughs> go drink <laughs> two bottles of wine. In fact, not one, two. So you can lie yeah. down under the sun. <laughs> but yeah. I think... I think that's where... Um, that's where uh, Francesca has a point, had a point when she said style is her style is her in a sense style is her her catalyst you know because yeah. I think style is the differentiator though I mean without yeah. style I mean what have you got what separates you from the other person and if you're going to copy someone else that means yeah. you value their style over yours or you don't have any so I think Style is the, the 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 one denominator. I think every designer has to strive for that to have their own identity. And without your own style, it's so difficult to to have an identity. Like when you look at Liz's work, it doesn't matter who he was wearing. You 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 know it's Liz's work, and that's that's amazing to have identity like that. And that's what everybody every every designer should. I know in Africa sometimes we forget these things, but. It's important, you know. <laughs> but we have a guy. So I guess also, um, how, and if you're a designer, Liz and Francesca, it's how do you take that personal style? Because you have to believe in it and make the masses believe in it. And I think mm -hmm. that's where we are right now in this industry. Mm -hmm. Like you said, Liz, if it's a sock or, or, or a T-shirt, you know, the, the shirt is a shirt is a shirt, you know. Mm -hmm. um, how does one make that shirt, that dress relevant to the marketplace? And I think with the world we're living in is, is how it's being marketed. How is that style being marketed to make you believe that you need to have this and you need to buy it? But this is why it has to be authentic mm -hmm. because otherwise you cannot, uh, you cannot build a story around that. Guys, yeah, guys, we, we, we can sit here all day long, but, uh, because of yeah. time, we're going to have to wrap up and go to our, who would you want to dress and why, which is our wine. 
and then we can go and lie under the park, uh, but we're going to drink wine and water, and at least we know where we're going and we're authentic, right? So that's what kind of sets us apart <laughs> from the person <laughs> AG, from the person G was describing earlier. But guys, it's really been great having you on the show. Um, Nadia, it's been fantastic having you as well and just Thank sharing you. your insights. For those of our listeners who want to connect with you, Nadia, how can we connect? They can email me at um, Nadia at BradshawConsultingGroup.com. Um, my website is coming soon. It should be launching early next week. Um, and that's how they get to me. Nadia at BradshawConsultingGroup.com. Th- thank you so much. And Gerard, how can our listeners connect with you? Uh, G at GerardFoster.com. That's G-E-R-R-A-R-D-F-O-S-T-E-R.com. Thank you very much, guys. It's been great. It is one. I'm literally giving you you. guys 10 seconds each to go around on who would you want to dress and why. We're going to start with Francisca. Today, I would like to dress the Zendaya, that is the girl of the Vogue America of this month. And uh, I like a lot her her image as uh, her personality. And uh, I would like to to offer her um, gala dress design. A shirt. Thank you. G, G, who would you want to dress today and why? Wow. Um, I'm going to cheat. I want to dress two people. Donald Trump, just because I think he needs it. (laughs) Don't go there, I'm sorry, Edgy, but come on now. Just, you know. Start start with the tie. Color palette. Yeah, start with the tie. And then Bishop T.D. Jakes, because recently he started dressing younger. He's wearing like skinny jeans and all of this. And I'm just like... The stature and the dress code are not matching. Oh, Lord bless our soul. Nadia, who would you want to dress and why today? I've been fortunate to dress a lot of the new up-and-comers, your Rihanna's, your Shalange's, and those guys. Um, I would love to do an iconic Naomi Campbell. That's who I would love. Girl, go big or go home, they say. Edgy, who would you want to dress today? (laughs) Me, I'm just dragging G to Diesel. That's it. Before we close, I have amazing um, factory, Binti and Dada in Kenya, you need to talk to. Um, we're, we're definitely going to connect with them. Um, t- today wanna I want to dress, today I want to dress Nadia because, um, her new name is Anyango, which I'll send to her because you'll need to re- rehearse this a few times. But it's really been great having you on the show and I love and we appreciate what you've done, uh, from a global perspective. And good, what does it mean? So I know. And good luck. Yes. And good luck to everything, to, to all of your, um, goals and whatever it is you're trying to achieve. Same thing with G. Thank you for joining us on the show. So, Francisca, try to make sure you don't wear those slip-ons today. Keep your heels or whatever it is intact. Enough of slip-ons. I will. Edgy, next week I'm dressing you before we start the show. For those who are tuned in, we're on (laughs) www.fashionlabafrica.com. It is peace and love until next week. This is cliffcentral.com.